from the Medical Republic. I'm Wendy John. Thanks for joining me in the tea room. And I've heard people say to me that, oh, I heard you can have some alcohol in a particular trimester or, oh, just a little bit. There's no studies done. Well, actually, we know the latest research tells us that there's absolutely no safe level of alcohol during pregnancy. How do you kick off the assessment of a child with suspected fetal alcohol spectrum disorder? Well, it's by asking their mum the potentially triggering question of, did you have any alcohol while you were pregnant? And because Australia has a drinking culture across all socioeconomic strata, it's entirely possible that the answer is yes. It's taken Australia a while to realise how widespread the condition is, but as of the 1st of March, the MBS has added fetal alcohol spectrum disorder to its item numbers relating to neurodevelopmental disorders. The age limit for neurodevelopmental disorders has also been lifted from 13 to 25 years and MBS has doubled the number of assessment services permitted and are allowing some allied health referrals too. But the question still remains, how do you start assessment of a child or young person with suspected fetal alcohol spectrum disorder and what can be done clinically to assist them to live a fuller life? Our guest today is going to help answer some of those questions. Nerosha Bowden is doing her PhD on fetal alcohol spectrum disorder at the University of New South Wales, but she's not a Sydney local. Nerosha lives and works in the Northern Territory as a senior mental health specialist at Top End Health Service. Thanks so much for joining us today, Nerosha. Thanks for having me, Wendy. I'm excited to be here. Can you tell us a bit about fetal alcohol spectrum disorder? Fetal alcohol spectrum disorder, which is commonly known as FASD, is a diagnostic term. It impairs 10 brain domains. And you do need to have prenatal alcohol exposure in utero to gain a diagnosis. It's also a lifelong disability. So anyone with FASD, they need treatment and management across the life course. What is FASD sometimes confused with? FASD is always confused with FAS, which is fetal alcohol syndrome. The syndrome itself is usually diagnosed at birth because a child would most likely have sentinel facial features. So that would be wide set eyes, quite a thin lip. A lot of people that I'll hear talk about FAS instead of FASD, and it's really important that we understand as health professionals that FASD is the spectrum and you don't need the facial features. You can have just some hyperactivity, some neurocognitive issues, emotional dysregulation, hyperarousal issues, and that cognitive inflexibility. And it would be FASD. Quite often, you know, in the work that I do, it might come to me as autism spectrum disorder. Then when I have a bit of a closer look, it doesn't completely match up. So just being aware of that is really important that because it's a spectrum, we really do want to go for a assessment and diagnosis before making any calls about treatment or management options. And what does the latest research tell us? What have you found out most recently about this disorder? What I find most interesting with the latest research, because I've interviewed a range of health professionals for my PhD in rural remote Australia. And I've heard people say to me that, oh, I heard you can have some alcohol in a particular trimester or, oh, just a little bit. There's no studies done. Well, actually, we know the latest research tells us that there's absolutely no safe level of alcohol during pregnancy. That is a common myth that 
can have one or two glasses and it's okay. But you're saying that the research is showing that actually there's no indication that that's a safe level. Are there other common myths? It is across all of Australia. And that is because we know that the rates for binge drinking like in our adolescents, young people up to around the age of 25, that's the highest rates of binge drinking. And then the other areas for population over 35, that's that longitudinal drinking where you're drinking quite large quantities over long periods of time. And so therefore, we know everybody does that. Who doesn't know someone that binge drinks on the weekend or has glasses of wine after work every evening? I think we know that it's across Australia because most people don't know that they're pregnant until they've missed their period or they're further along. So that really means that the spread is really large. But we also know that the spread is across Australia because the prevalence data for FASD has been really specific to certain communities or areas. And the reason that's been is because there's been over-surveillancing of alcohol use and recording of alcohol use in those communities. And what that does is it negatively stigmatizes our communities and their communities like First Nations communities, communities who are lower socioeconomic status, communities that are culturally, linguistically diverse. So I just want to bust that myth that it's only in specific communities and only some of us need to know. That's not true. We all need to know that it could be anyone. It could be a friend, a brother, sister. It could be affecting anyone at any point. And it's up to us to spread the message that there's no safe level of alcohol during pregnancy. The other common myth also that you can have FASD with sentinel facial features or without, and that's what I would love for GPs to know today, that if someone comes in and there's been a confirmed alcohol use during pregnancy or, you know, maybe the child cognitively, academically, language, memory, there's some impairment there that you think, oh, look, this adds up send it off, refer it to paediatrics because they could really benefit from a diagnosis. What could a GP do if there's a suspicion of FASD? We always encourage the confirmation of prenatal alcohol exposure. So that's a really sensitive conversation. They're conversations that need to go slow and it might take a few appointments to actually get some of that information, but that is the key. That's the key. So I'm just assuming that most people do. And that's the thing. Most people do. We know that for alcohol consumption, it's not particular populations or particular people with demographics coming in to look out for. What you're looking out for is any type of impairment across 10 of those brain domains. What would you be seeing as a GP? So this is the thing, if you think about autism spectrum disorder, it's really quite similar in that that's a spectrum, not one individual be the same. The key that you would be looking out for is if a parent came in and said, my child just can't emotionally regulate and has impulse control difficulties and the school's, you know, suspended them or I have to pick them up from school every day because the school is saying they can't cope and challenges that might look like hyperactivity or some sexualized behaviors, sometimes aggression. What that makes me think is, oh, okay, that's already three of the brain domains. 
and I want to know what else is going on. But you only need three of the brain domains and confirmation of alcohol exposure in utero to get a FASD diagnosis. And what are the domains? The domains are academic achievement, attention, cognition, language, that's receptive and expressive, neuroanatomy, changes in the brain, executive functioning, adaptive behavior, motor skills, and affect regulation is the biggest one. Sometimes GPs might see an adolescent or a young person presenting with what could look like ADHD, and it very well would be ADHD, but it might be on the background of the diagnosis of FASD that hasn't been confirmed yet. So what happens is if we treat ADHD with medications like a stimulant, we're not actually targeting the most important cluster for FASD. So therefore, it's likely the medication won't work. Some medications for ADHD and FASD actually speed the person up and you'll get more impulse control and emotional dysregulation in that individual. Not what you want. Not what you want. So that's why it's really important just if people want to Google medication algorithms for FASD, that's the newest research and it's innovative. It's amazing from Canada FASD and also No FASD Australia have done some really great work around it, but it's really important. So doctors need to be careful what gets prescribed. Is that something that a GP would prescribe or is that something that another specialist would be involved with? Across the 10 years I've worked in the field and across my PhD studies, we know from not just from the academic literature, but from working on the front ground is that medications get overprescribed. And that's really detrimental to the individual because what happens is it can cause discomfort and emotional distress. And if you're a GP, maybe you're out rural remote, come and join a Project Echo or get in contact with someone, myself or your local hospital and start talking about well, what are the medication algorithms for FASD. And I guess if the GP isn't the one that's prescribing, being the gatekeeper for the health of that person, doing a pharmacy review can also be helpful. I think pharmacists can also be useful in that role as well. Yeah, the GP might not be the prescriber, but they might be asked to monitor because what happens in rural remote Australia is people are pretty transient. People have lives and you might not see someone for some time. And so even just that information, feeding that back to the prescriber is letting them know, look, I haven't seen whoever it is in X amount of time. I'm pretty sure they've gone away. Just letting them know that because then we know someone has some medication. That's not always the safest thing to do at rural remote Australia. It's also that the metabolic monitoring of the medications that are for FASD, they need to be done every three months and earlier if the person's having any negative side effects. So you're talking about some pharmacy may not be appropriate for people in rural and remote communities. Is that because of the likelihood that someone might be using heavy equipment on a farm or the distances that they have to drive to and from healthcare appointments? Honestly, yeah. But when I think about it and I think about polypharmacy and I'm in child and adolescent mental health, I think about any time a doctor has prescribed medications to a child who it's on the background of a psychiatric disorder and I see a lot of suicidality, deliberate self-harm. Kids with FASD or even adults are quite vulnerable to death by misadventure. 
So I always advocate for, look, if the medication can't be kept safe, if there's no one to monitor and give that medication in a safe way, then let's just not do it. We've got to find a behavioral intervention instead. And would you say that's the same for adults? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. What's the best approach for a GP to diagnose FASD? The best approach is to contact your pediatrics team and get a referral in or a referral into the child development team. But if you're in rural remote areas where you might have Aboriginal health controlled health services, that might be like Congress or Danila Dilba, do your referral there because it's actually a multidisciplinary assessment. We take reports from different professionals. So it includes a neuropsychologist, it includes a physio, NOT, a social worker, and obviously Aboriginal mental health workers or Aboriginal liaison officers, depending where you are. And then we put the report together like that. We wouldn't recommend for a GP to diagnose FASD on their own because it's not, it's not possible to do by the newest Australian standards. Are there any tools to assist a GP to get to the point where they are suggesting that a patient does a FASD diagnosis in that multidisciplinary team that you just referred to? Yes, it's called the Australian Guide to the Diagnosis of FASD. This is the Bible for every GP to read around how you would go about diagnosing FASD and what your role is as a GP and what information you would need to look for and give. And so some of those behavioral presentations, psychiatric presentations that are comorbidity, then GPs will have a really good idea of what needs to be done in their reports to refer over. Can you tell us about Project ECHO and the work that you're doing there? So what we do is share knowledge and we support each other and support healthcare providers living mostly in rural remote areas or in areas that don't have a specialist there. And we share our knowledge through not just the didactic, but also case presentations. Essentially, it's an evidence-based model and it's for the extension of community healthcare outcomes. But not every state necessarily will be doing work around fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. No, I would love that, but just keep an eye out on No FASD Australia on the FASD Hub. The University of Western Australia has a certificate for the diagnosis of FASD. And actually, the NDIS has one free certificate about doing applications for the NDIS around FASD because we know FASD isn't considered diagnostic label or disability label for the purposes of the NDIS, but you can apply depending on impairment and if you can prove the impairment and I've seen a lot of people get really good packages as well if it's applied for in the right way. What are you finding out in your PhD on FASD in rural and remote Australia? Interestingly, what I'm finding out is almost everyone I've spoken to have said this is a really emotional topic. It's really hits home because It's our community, it's our brother, it's our sister, it's our cousin, it's our friend. And in remote Australia, we don't have as much access to information, medical information or what's happening. So a lot of the workers here that I've interviewed have really gotten quite emotional and said, I've never been able to speak about this to anyone. What was amazing 
is also that people are just so motivated despite feeling that bit sense of hopelessness around FASD in rural Australia. People are really motivated and optimistic that, look, this is happening. We're here for it. Let's go. Let's go. Let's all get together and start making this happen so like our children and families can have really good lives. We talk about children with FASD. There's a lot of adults walking around undiagnosed with FASD too, I imagine. There certainly is. And I think this is really hard because I work in child and adolescence under, so like under six years old, it's early intervention and sometimes up to seven underneath is early intervention. So that's where a lot of services have focused. And that's just because of whichever state or territory you are in, the FASD strategic plans and then the Commonwealth FASD strategic plan starts there, starts with early intervention. So at the moment, I don't have any good advice or a magic wand around adults with FASD getting a diagnosis, but you can contact private providers, which isn't great because it costs a lot of money. But at the moment, that seems to be the only way. And tell us about treatment and management. So if the damage has been done that's causing these disorders across a spectrum, is it really just managing the ability of that person to live a better life? Absolutely. It is our job as health professionals and being families and friends and communities to ensure that people with FASD can have a better quality of life because this is a life course disability. It's across the life course from birth to death. There's no cure. But what we need to remember is if someone with FASD is affected on 10 different brain domains, there's no magic bullet. And so what we look at to come up with treatment options, which is part of my PhDs, we need to look at the biological, the psychological, the social, the spiritual and cultural factors that impact that person's life. And that may be impacting their level of functioning and causing impairment. And then once you have that sorted and your way forward, you've got a bit of a way forward of what domains you would target. The types of interventions we can use are like medication algorithms, but they need to be always combined with a social or behavioral intervention. We can use case management models across the life course, but also wraparound models of support. So that needs to go from the home to the school and community. And then, of course, when we're thinking about challenging behaviors, I love play therapy. And I find that the kids that I work with, they love that because a lot of individuals with FASD go on to be amazing athletes. Maybe they cognitive wise, somewhat impaired or language, but go on to be AFL players, go on to be netballers, go on to do other things that's more around their motor skills. It just depends on where on the brain domains that you're impaired. Is there anything else you'd like to add? Well, what I would like to add, I think I've said enough today, so thank you. But I think really just for GPs today is to have a look. Google the medication algorithms for FASD, Google the Australian Guide to the Diagnosis of FASD, Google FASD, No FASD Australia or the FASD Hub and start making contact, start doing some PD, start 
checking out Project ECHO so we can work together to allow individuals with FASD to just have a better quality of life. Thanks so much for joining us, Narosha Bowden. Thanks so much for having me. That was Narosha Bowden, Senior Mental Health Specialist at Top End Health Service and PhD candidate at UNSW. Now, if you want to see any of the resources or MBS information discussed today, please check the show notes. The links are all there. And the Medical Republic has covered the changes in a story this week too, so check that out. I'm Wendy John. Thanks for joining me in the Tea Room. If you've enjoyed this episode, you can search for us on your favourite podcast player and subscribe. Leave us a review if you like. If you have any news tips or want to chat, you can email me at wendy at medicalrepublic.com.au. The Tea Room is a production from the journalists at the Medical Republic. Visit us at medicalrepublic.com.au to keep up to date with all the latest news and views in general practice. And while you're there, make sure you subscribe to our newsletter. We love to keep you informed. Thanks for tuning in.